playbook. It's a private practice playbook. Playbook. All right, let's get to work. So I have been uh, wanting to record this for some time and uh, got a little busy toward the end of the year there with client events. We're back to workshops for the first quarter and uh, other things. So I'm in the studio today in Florida and I know I want to welcome. We've got a lot of new uh, subscribers. We've actually opened up the podcast and uh, we had it private. We've opened it up. So we've got a lot of new people. So I want to welcome you. just a couple of reminders. Uh, there is no shortage of podcasts for you to talk about a who committed a murder 20 years ago. There's no shortage of podcasts. It seems that people get their famous friends together and just talk about everything and anything. Uh, there is no shortage of podcasts on really all kinds of very strange subjects. So just as a reminder, this one is a little more focused, right? And so the audience for this podcast is obviously the, you know, people who we work with, right? So uh, doctors running practices and interested in how to run that practice successfully And then obviously to have a, what we might consider a successful life uh, in addition to having a successful business. And so we will, I usually am sharing, I may have from time to time interviews, but I'm going to be talking about, you know, real world things that uh, are specific to running a practice. So this podcast is great for doctors. If you're a spouse of a doctor and you really want to kind of understand the business or any team members, but, and obviously for instance, today's podcast would be really great for anyone to listen to, but I do want to remind you that that is our niche. And so let's dive in and go to work. So today we're going to talk about a subject that I think is really probably one of the most important things for every business owner to understand. And it is also very challenging because this is one of the subjects sort of, you know, you put it in that category of subjects that people don't like to talk about, right? And so in my experience, uh, by the way, uh, today you may... You know, you may go out and you may get in your car. You may wake up in a house that you have a mortgage for. You may get into a car you have a payment for, right? I mean, you may be wearing something that you still haven't paid off on your credit card. And so today we're going to talk about debt. And this is one of the most misunderstood subjects that I have ever come across. And it is something that literally not one single person will ever be able to completely escape. So debt is, you know, number one, it it was man-made. Okay. And so, and now the new variations of it are just massive, you know, everything from, you know, going to target and them asking you if you'd like to save 10%, open up a target card. Uh, to, I mean, the bank wanting you to refinance your house so you can go on a vacation or build a deck. I mean, this just goes on and on and on. But what's hard is as a business owner, you have to remember that you, you know, you have a personal set of 
everything. And then you have a corporate side of everything. And I think that a lot of people, you know, don't know this because they haven't worked with business owners. You know, when you talk about giving financial advice, it's a little different because you really have two opportunities to take on debt. Now, so let's think about this as the, the podcast of maybe the things that your parents didn't teach you. And it might be because they don't know this. All right. And so we're going to, we're going to try to make this as fun as we possibly can, but hear me loud and clear. If you are thinking, well, you want to talk about something else. Well, most likely that that is part of the problem. And then, you know, I think it would, you know, if you think about how this might work, you know, over all the years, if somebody would say, well, I've got a lot of debt. And then, you know, you ask him and say, well, how much do you have? I mean, I'll tell you nine out of 10, well, I'm going to say 10 out of 10 times. They couldn't even tell you the amount of debt they have. You know, it's kind of like if you, if you gain a few pounds and, you know, and, and you ask me, well, how much do you weigh? Well, I wouldn't know because I'm probably not getting on the scale during that period of time. <laughs> I'm probably only getting on the scale during the period of time that my, your weight is going in the direction you want it to go to. So, so question number one is, do you even know how much money you owe? And that is a very, very important thing. And there is just something in people's psychology that they like to, you know, when you say I have a lot of debt, and that's a very common, uh, that is a negative. That That is something you want to know the dollar amount. And what I'm going to walk you through is, and, and listen, debt is going to be part of your life. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you should never, ever, ever have debt. I, I am personally averse to it, but I didn't start out averse to it. I started out misunderstanding it and I loved it. I mean, I loved the first time they sent me a credit card. And I mean, I thought, you know, the thing was to go take it and max it out and then I get another one and max it out. So I want to make sure that you understand, I'm not going to record this from a, you know, a position of like an ivory tower talking about the fact that, you know, you should not have debt. And most people are going to have debt. And that's just the truth. So let's let's digest it and see what it looks like. And again, on any given day, I mean, house, college debt. I mean, you know, there's a lot of doc you could go to a doctor's office and that doctor's still paying off their their debt from uh, their education let alone their car, their boat, their everything. So practice, equipment. I mean, so we are going to, so let's talk about it. So number one, it was man-made. And, you know, as technology has changed and the ability to qualify people instantaneously through, you know, electronics and credit scores and things of that nature, the debt has gotten way, way easier to take. So rule number one is this, and capture this. It is a lot harder to pay off the debt than it is to take it. And that is just an incredibly important concept that you have to remember. So the discipline of understanding what are the things you would want to take debt for. Now, debt is designed for you to be able to acquire things when you don't have the money. So let's just be honest. And and uh, for some people, using debt just becomes a habit, kind of like paying cash could become a habit. But it is important to understand that as a business owner, you have more opportunities to take on debt than, than any other group of people, you know. And so you can end up taking it on corporately and personal.
Now, listen, you know, when you look at it, I, most of the stuff I've studied around debt and money, you know, honestly, I think the best things are, you know, biblical information. And, you know, if you look at that, it talks about, you know, the debtor being slave to the lender. And so I, I don't like debt. And I believe that no matter who you are, no matter what your position, you should really work to pay off your debts. And so for instance, like I invented a system, a digi debt reduction system. I mean, I had to develop a system because it, at some points I had so much debt, which was, we're going to go through the categories. You have to learn to pay it off. And maybe in some other venue we could do that. I would have to, if I was going to teach you that, it would have to be, um, I would have to do it you know, where you could see me. I can't talk you through it, but there's actually a, I've invented an incredible system for paying off debt um, that really I found anyone could follow and works very well. Is debt controlling your life? Imagine if it suddenly vanished. Your house gets paid off. You make your last car payment. You never have to think about your student loan again. With Jay's Debt Reduction and Wealth Accumulation System, you will set a target date to pay off your debts and learn the simple step-by-step -step system designed to keep you on track, paying off your debts fast. Call us today and mention this podcast to get 10% off. 770-518-7575. So debt is employed so if you again if somebody walks into best buy and they want a big screen tv and the big screen tv is two thousand dollars and they don't have two thousand dollars they can instantly get the credit right so let's go through this and let's talk about where the categories and the second rule besides remembering it's much harder to pay off and you know maybe who knows maybe the second rule should be you do have to pay it off and I don't know it's just weird how people think you know they're not going to pay it off and I think the best way I can describe this is this um, so it is interesting so if if you get online and you know you look up how much house you can afford or how much and you you put an input of how much debt service you have and uh, what your income is. The, the other rule that I want you to remember is this, is that, you know, and I, I used to think about this a lot. I was like, why, if you drive through a downtown, are bank names on all the buildings? And, and as I, as I kind of went through life, I realized why that is. It's called interest. <laughs> and, you know, you have to remember that for every one of us, we want to... You know, I teach doctors, number one, avoid fees at all costs. But number two, we've got to minimize interest. Uh, interest is a, is a terrible, terrible expense for you. It's always associated with debt, but it is a wonderful source of income for the person who's giving it to you. So remember this, because you can go get a 30-year mortgage, see, here's what you got to remember. Because you can finance equipment and amortize it over seven years, because the bank will give you a line of credit, it is imperative that you realize that the strategy to pay things off should never, ever, ever be based on the terms they're willing to give you. And I'm, I'm just shocked at the way people do this. So they get so excited. They're, you know, all excited that they got, a, you know, a 0% interest rate. 
But that's usually, you know, with something that if they make the payment one day late or whatever it might be, the interest rate triggers back. So it is important you understand in paying off debts, don't ever, ever, ever let your strategy be what the bank will let you do. So for instance, and we're gonna go through some examples. I mean, so that would be, well, because you can get a 30 year loan, you should pay your house off over 30 years. And I'll show you this in a minute. That makes no sense whatsoever. So you wanna to learn to pay off debts in a way that minimizes the amount of interest. And it's, you know, I look at that as the equivalent of earning. So for instance, and we'll run some numbers and I'll show you what I mean. So never, ever, ever pay it off based on the terms that they're willing to give you. Okay. So you will need to take debt, okay? So anyone who has assets usually had to take some form of debt, had to pay it off, and the term that you should use is called deleveraging, okay? And I want you to have, see if you say paying off debts, most people, they don't get excited about that. But the process of paying off debt is what we call deleveraging. Leveraging is the process of taking debt. And so if you think about, you know, the way you should be doing this is if you're going to leverage, which is using debt to buy something, then you have to also be able to deleverage. And, it, and we're going to talk about the categories of debts here in just a second, but it is important you understand those two work hand in hand. And the biggest problem or the issue that people have is it's, again, way easier to leverage and if every person who took a loan pays it at the rate the debtor is willing, remember, I mean, if you borrow money from me, listen, I want you to pay it as slow as humanly possible so I make a lot of interest. And, and I'm, I don't, I'm not in that business, but understand that's what the bank wants to do. That's what the credit card company wants to do because they make a lot of interest. And so I'm an advocate more for you. And I'm telling you that one of the largest, like people are funny, they don't understand money has a tendency to disappear and there's really only five places money goes in your life and one of them happens to be debt and that is a category that you know is really built by you so in other words it's the decisions you make that decide how much of your money is going to go to pay off debt all right let's talk about some of these and i'm not going to use the term good debt bad debt because i've never really loved that that way of thinking at it or looking at it because then people, because I, I don't really think it's good, but it, you're gonna need it. I'm telling you, as a business owner, you know, you may need it to get your education, you may need it to buy your building, you may need it to equip it. There's, there's a number of things that, that you may need it for. And so let's walk through the categories. So if you would, I want you to imagine, you know, four boxes. And really there are four primary categories of debt. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start with what I consider to be the worst one, moving up to what I consider better ones, okay? And usually if you're a doctor, you're, you potentially have all of these, okay? And so let's go through it. So the first one is this. The first box is what we would typically call some form of consumer debt. 
And inside of this box, and again, because lenders are creative and technology makes it easy, we have expanded things in this box. So for instance, you could have clothes that you could take debt for. You could take debt on a vacation. You could take debt on a sofa. You know, you could be, you know, rooms to go, a very brilliant marketing company. You can go in, buy your whole room, all pre-designed and just make payments, okay? And furniture, house, car. So normally, uh, jet ski, boat, right? Uh, all kinds of things. So what you want to do is to understand. So, and, and remember, if you were to put, you know, it's interesting if, if you run some numbers, right? So for instance, if you think about, you know, if you had $2,000 on a credit card and you make the minimum payment, do you know that they have that you will pay it off in 10 years. <laughs> I mean, and I know you may think, oh, Jay, I would never do that, but people do it all the time. So literally, if, if $2,000 on a credit card, if the statement shows up and the person just says, well, there's the minimum payment, and see, they're baiting you with the minimum payment. They're saying, if you make the minimum payment, we make bukus and bukus of interest, which makes us happy. And you have to be smart enough to know that our job here is to attack and eliminate interest. I don't mind you using leverage to acquire things, but you have to attack it and fix it. So, and pay it early, pay it and learn how to score the amount of interest. Okay. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. So you have this area and these things, by the way, and we're going to talk about what is called an asset. And remember your financial uh, picture is about the acquiring of assets. And a lot of people don't understand that. And what we want to do is realize that if there's two kinds of assets, there's one that is, shall we say, mired or leveraged in debt, and there's one that isn't. And obviously, I'm here to tell you that it's better to have assets that do not have a lot of debt. So for instance, let's pick a consumer deal here, right? So let's say, again, and usually for people, it starts out with a credit card. So they go buy a bunch of miscellaneous things they can't describe. Uh, I was looking at something here a little while ago, and they were talking about the average credit card debt is something like in America around five or $6,000 spread over two or three credit cards. Well, that means that those people can't, you know, the question is, can they or can't they pay it off? So what's really toxic about debt, and what you're going to want to remember, and as, particularly as a doctor, and really anyone listening to this, um, before, you know, before I go through these four boxes, I mean, here's the question. Uh, there's a condition, and it's called under-earning. And... See, a lot of people don't know this. I mean, it's fascinating. So you could have, you could have an income and you can have debt and you can think that you're earning enough, but if you can't pay off the debts, then you're under earning. So most people that are grotesquely under earning are making minimum payments. And so like, for instance, if you're making minimum payments, Okay. And there's not a bunch of money left over. I'm actually here to tell you the problem is you're under earning. 
you are not putting the appropriate amount of effort and energy into providing quality service to generate money. And remember, money is not a problem. It's all about can you engineer creating value for people. And for most doctors, you have a really lovely situation where people appreciate what you do. You know, if it's making them feel better, look better, whatever it is, they value it and they'll pay for it. And so remember, money is generated in a business on the amount of value you create for whoever your customer or in most of your cases, who your patient is. And so if you're creating value, then you'll generate money. But most people, and I just think it's kind of like I got to sort of stop here and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're a habitual under earner, right? I mean, literally that means you can't deleverage and it's, it's a slippery slope. So if every year goes by and you know, you have a, you know, you look at your tax return and it looks like you made money, but yet your debt keeps going up and you're not accelerating it, you're under earning. And I've seen many doctors, they just get so busy, they get so distracted that years and years go by and habitual under earning is the worst habit for anyone to get into. Now, listen, if you listen to what I'm telling you about debt and you take this serious, then you're not going to be a habitual uh, under earner. In other words, you know, but there are two sides to the equation. And today I'm only talking about the debt side, right? We're not, I'm not here to talk about the earning side, but remember there's a correlation between the two. And again, you know, when it's interesting, uh, a lot of people, they get very emotional about their debt. And, and really what we want to do is we want to know what we have, how long it's going to take to pay it off. And then we want to go to work and generate money to pay it off. I mean, this is not rocket science. And so if you are habitually under earning, it is important you get in the earning business because you're going to have to earn. And what I mean by that is, and you know, same thing, if, you can't, if you're having a hard time paying taxes, you're under earning. You're most likely overspending and under earning. But remember, all these things collide at one time. So let's go back to this consumer debt. And I wanna give you some helpful tips. So, and I will tell you the ideal, and then you can kind of play with that. So here's ideal. Number one, let's use uh, a jet ski. And again, and, and Maybe a better example would be a, an expensive piece of jewelry at a jewelry store. We'll, we'll use a jet ski. So if you were to walk into a, uh, any kind of a boat store uh, and you were to see a jet ski, you will see on the jet ski, it will say something like, you can have this for $99 a month. You know, So in other words, it's like the credit card minimum payment, right? When you go buy cars, they do this to you a lot. A lot of you don't know this, but it's like they market the payment, right? And so... For $2.99 a month, you can have this car. All right. So, and what you want to be able to do is to decipher that arrangement. Okay. So that's what they're willing to let you pay it at. I told you a little earlier, if you want to be a financial disaster, then you will pay everything at the rate they allow you to pay it. That will be an absolute nightmare for you because you will pay over your life, potentially millions of dollars of interest. So collecting things and making minimum payments is a terrible idea. So what you want to do is you want to, so let me run through a scenario. So if I take that jet ski 
And I don't know, let's just use uh, a really good jet ski is probably something like fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars And so you would buy that jet ski and I'll give you rough numbers and they're going to let you pay it over five or six years. And you're going to add several thousands of dollars of interest. Okay. So let's just say that that $15,000 jet ski, by the time you're getting done making payments with the interest and everything, you know, it ends up being something like 17. Now, the minute you take that thing out, put it in the lake or the ocean or wherever you take it, uh, on, on that given day, that jet ski is going to depreciate. So that means that it'll be less valuable because you took it out of the store, you wrote it for one day. And you would not even be able to sell it for what you have agreed to pay for it, certainly with the interest. So generally on consumer debt, what I would recommend to people is this, is pay cash. And if you want to know how you, if you want a jet ski, start saving the $80 or $100 or the $200 a month until you have 15,000 in there and then pull it out and pay cash. And you know, if you did that, trust me, you want that jet ski. And if you're unwilling to do that, you probably really don't want that jet ski. And so creating and paying cash is the best way to avoid interest on consumer debt. The other thing obviously would be to expedite it or to pay it very quickly. But again, you got to be very careful there. So that's the worst kind of debt. It's a, it's financing a rapidly depreciating item that sometimes we don't call an asset. Okay. Because so for instance, sofas worth a lot less clothes, all these things, cars. Okay. So we want, if you have you know, it's funny, if you have consumer debt and you're holding it and you have money over the side, you should really take that money and pay off that debt because then we eliminate interest from your life. And that interest is typically not deductible interest, okay? The second place where people make some mistakes is in what we'll call residential real estate. This is the owning a home, right? And again, you hear a lot of people talk about refinancing. And so every time you refinance, you end up paying lots of fees. And many times, unbeknownst to the uneducated consumer, when they take those fees, they're so fixated on the payment, so they would refinance, you know, to get a little bit better rate, and they would roll in three, four, or five thousand dollars worth of fees and amortize those fees over another 30 year period of time. That is uh, probably the dumbest thing anyone could do on any given day. And so I want to talk about this. So the way in which you pay off a home, and we're going to kind of go through this. So uh, residential real estate, and if you'll just make a few notes, is an expense. So what you want to, when you buy a house, it comes with lots of expenses. And anyone who's ever bought one realizes this, but here's what we want to do. We want to, they say people trade homes every four years. So imagine a person who trades a house every four years. Let's say they buy a $100,000 or $200,000 house. They hold it for four years, never pay down the mortgage, go buy a $500,000 house, uh, roll the fees into another 30-year 30, 30 loan, and, um, and then when you sell it, 
you have to pay an agent 6%. So they lose 6%. So if you want to be never have your house paid for, let me go ahead and tell you how to do it. Always take a 30 year mortgage. Okay. And, and trade houses often. <laughs> you literally, you, you, it's a joke. The same person who says they made money on their house doesn't deduct the commission, um, which is just phenomenal. So you don't want to buy and trade lots and lots of houses. It's a terrible, terrible idea because you lose 6% every time you sell it. I mean, to give you an idea, and I certainly, you know, I have enough assets that I can do it, but every home that I have primary home I have ever lived in, I so we sold by owner. And the reason I did it was to save 6% because I knew the value. I didn't want to give up 6% in the transaction. And listen, 6% of any number, you know, when you're talking about a house is pretty substantial. So if you take a, let's take, for instance, we'll go to a big number. Let's say a million dollar house and I'm use, I'll use a 4% interest rate. If you were to take a 30-year loan, you would pay $718,000 of interest. And don't, don't you dare get sucked into someone telling you, if anyone has ever told you that you should never pay off your house because the interest is deductible, that is terrible. I mean, I, it's terrible advice and probably a person who doesn't have a paid off house. So $1 million financing a house, okay? Over 30 years, you would pay 700, okay? Now, there is no way at the end, I mean, your house would have to double in value. And so again, this is, it's, it's an illusion. Like people think they make money selling houses. Most of them do not. They don't know the true math of what it costs to sell a house and how much this interest is. If I took that same 30-year mortgage, I didn't refinance it, but I just paid more on principal and I paid it off in 10 years, which you are free to do at no cost, I would take that interest down to $214,000, effectively saving $500,000 in interest payments on one home. Now, very few people, I've learned very few people understand amortization charts, but the, the art is to actually go in there and again, you do not have to refinance, right? I mean, I can go into an amortization chart, enter your numbers, tell you what the monthly payment should be. And if you pay it, you can see how long it's going to take to pay and you can see how much interest you'll save. So uh, this is all you got to do. And, and remember, this is where earning becomes important, right? If somebody says, well, I don't have the money to do that. I think it's actually that you've never decided you wanted to do that. Okay. And so we want to buy assets like homes and we want to pay them off. We want to deleverage them and we want to minimize, if not eliminate fees and minimize the amount of interest that we pay. All right. So the third box is the most misunderstood for most doctors. And we call this the CapEx box, the capital expenditures. 
And so this particular box only applies to people who have a business. And what this means, so for instance, if you're a doctor and you have a student loan, you know, it's, if it's me, I kind of think of that as a CapEx expense. Like you, you had to invest to get a license to be able to treat patients and ultimately, hopefully, make a really nice living. But what you had to do is you had to take a loan, okay? Most people, when they go to buy a practice, they have to take a loan to buy the practice. Most people have to take a loan to do the equipment. And, you know, today they try to scare everybody and they say, well, you know, you have student loans, so that means you shouldn't do a startup practice. I mean, I don't know where they're getting that logic. I'm assuming they're trying to hire you. It doesn't necessarily make sense. seems to me like you would go, how do I make the most amount of money to pay this off as fast? But, hey, that's just me. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, if we think about it, uh, this category, what's really cool about this category, and, and by the way, you're going to need this category. So, for instance, if we were to take like in a dental practice as an example, let's say that building a new operatory costs $50,000, and let's say you don't have the $50,000, so you go and you take a five-year loan, you pay $966 a month, you pay $8,000 in interest over the five-year period of time. But that operatory can earn $40,000 a month. So that means I take a loan. And so in CapEx, the reason why leverage or debt is used is to maximize cash flow. So it's not, and it's important that you understand that, maximize cash flow. So the capital expenditure box is different than, let's say, the replace the gutter box in real estate. Remember, box two, residential real estate, that has a, just a lot of expenses. You're always having to fix something. So the third box, and again, this is a really good box if used correctly. And so, for instance, if you were, you know, if I was interviewing you and you were a practitioner and you showed me you had a growth strategy, I mean, one of the questions I would ask you is, well, tell me where, what are you going to be, where are you going to be? spending money what are your anticipated capital expenditures right so if you're if you're a business owner and you're listening to this right now there's probably some places you could invest money that would really help grow the business and it is important that you you really get that because if you don't invest that money then your business is not going to grow and this is probably the most significant box for all business owners and it is grotesquely misunderstood and many times they spend money on like toys or equipment that really doesn't drive revenue so one of the terrible things i've seen people do is to sort of go out and you know you go to uh uh but by the way if you're a doctor and you go to a convention just randomly and walk around and look at all the equipment and then you decide to buy something while you're there i'm here to tell you that was not a capital investment uh, capital investments are thought out in a in advance, based on uh, you don't you don't find them in a showroom, and that's ridiculous. You should. It takes me like two seconds to assess what the capital expenditures should be. I mean, if I walk into your office and you've got worn out carpet, you've got the walls need to be painted, the uh, you know the office is just sort of average. I mean, I can tell you that the best capital expense you can make is renovating your office because that 
is what is very impactful to your team and your patients. But many doctors, I mean, I listen, I've done this a long time. I'm, I'm almost shocked at the condition of some of the offices. And, but, you know, if you have a crummy looking office, but you have the greatest piece of equipment back there, I got news for you. It, it ain't going to matter. That's not going to get the job done. So capital expenses are things that actually generate, ideally, more revenue than they do the payment and they affect cash flow. So please review your previous thinking on CapEx expenses. And if you have had the habit of whatever the latest salesperson sells you, that's not a capital expense that you just added cost. I mean, it's like, it's always amazes me how easy yeah, I guess I don't sell these things, but people come in and tell you, you need this piece of equipment and the equipment's a hundred thousand dollars. And they tell you, well, you can depreciate it right away, which will affect your taxes. But it's like, you forgot that you got to go to a month long seminar. You got to, you got to train two staff members. I mean, listen, th this is the part you got to be knowledgeable about. Don't just think that buying equipment is going to grow your practice. That's not true. So you want to learn what are the really good capital expenses. And I'm okay with you taking a capital expense. And we want to do the same thing. Usually these are in shorter amortization periods of so five, seven or less. And again, we want to speed those up and pay them off more rapidly if we can. But they free up cash flow. And then the, the fourth category the fourth category for most practitioners is commercial real estate. And so this, so let's talk about a couple of the important things about commercial real estate. And what I see right now is many, many people like to say, you know, they have too much debt and they can't afford things. But what I find is most of them, they just, they, they're really not paying attention. And so commercial real estate, you know, one of the unique things that you guys can do, it's not, well, it's not unique, but it's, it's, it's good and it, you should, is that if you are a doctor, you can actually acquire personally, and we, we acquire it personally or through an LLC that you set up, you can actually uh, purchase a building and your organization, your practice can rent that building directly from you. So it basically, there's this window and it's tax advantageous and it is a good decision to buy commercial real estate associated with your practice. I, I won't have time today to go into all the benefits of that. Maybe we can do that on another podcast, but the list of reasons to do that is pretty extensive and I won't go into all of them. I want to talk a little bit about this. What kind of asset is that? So it'll be your most expensive asset, and yes, um, and but here's what it does. It has features, okay? So the first feature it has, it has rent. So your jet ski does not have rent. Your house does not have rent. Don't you dare tell me that you, you Airbnb the guest room, you know? I mean, whatever, that's, that's just, <laughs> that's not gonna cut it. And if you have to Airbnb your guest room, you bought a house probably that you couldn't afford. All right. So commercial real estate gets rent. It also tends to not have the same expenses that residential real estate does. 
and the tenant, which is you, can pay those expenses. So, and this is a tremendous asset. It's income producing. So if you take a house versus an office, and let's say you buy a house, you pay off your house, and then the next month, guess what? Is all you do, you, you, you've saved money because you don't have to pay interest anymore, but you don't get rent. If you go over here and you pay off your commercial building, you get rent every single month. So all that original capital can come back to you if you hold it long enough. So if you are a doctor and you're interested in actually becoming financially independent, there's no doubt that commercial real estate would probably be your, that your office resides in. And if you're more sophisticated, you will understand that number one, it provides rent. Number two, it'll create an opportunity for us to grow the value of the stock of your entity. And it also gives you maximum flexibility sometimes in terms of being able to, to grow your practice. Now, many people, they just get stuck in a lease cycle. And listen, there are, you know, when, when you think about leases, the, the, the thing that's so crazy about leases is that they sort of destroy growth. You know, if, you know, you think about a doctor who comes out of practice and doesn't have any money, and the, so the first thing, or they don't think they have any money, they don't know how to use debt, and so they go and they lease an office, and they sign a five-year lease, and it's got like four operatories, and, you know, if you hire me, you'll have those operatories full in no time at all, and then it's like, what do you do? And this is the thing that you want to understand about, you know, if you're really going to grow, uh, many people are trapped in leases, and you have to get them out into something else. So those are the four major categories. And again, I, I mean, listen, this is an abbreviated version of this, but there is a there's significant opportunity in all four of these categories to do better. But so let's go back over some of these rules. Number one, don't ever, 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 ever make payments in accordance to what they're willing to do for you. Okay. Two, here are some things that are important about using debt. Okay. And that you want to make sure. Uh, and one is that at all costs, know your credit score. Okay, know your credit score and not only know it, but make sure it is high. All right. And that is so simple to do. That is always make your payments. And there are a few interesting things you're going to want to learn along the way. I'll try to give this to you very concisely. Make your payments. Okay. So I, I put everything on auto pay. So the payments are never late. And, you know, now they're emailing bills and things. So it's very easy to not get a bill, you know. Uh, they, don't, they don't even mail you bills these days a lot of times. So auto pay is the key to that. But what is also important is this. Credit is based particularly, we've brought in bankers to speak to our clients for, and one uh, came in uh, recently and I liked what he said. He said, you know, the bank will look at you forward in the rearview mirror. I thought that was very interesting. And remember, this is how this works. So, yeah, you may think, you know, you have this bright future. But what the bank does is they look at you forward. And imagine they look in the rearview mirror and they look at your history. And then that tells what they're willing to do moving forward. 
And, you know, I just, I realized that was really kind of a cool comment. And what that's saying is you can't escape any bad decisions when it comes to money. I mean, and I remember one time years, and this is way, way, way back. I went in to try to buy a car and the guy said, well, you don't, you don't qualify. And I was so upset. And, you know, the truth is I didn't deserve it. And he was looking at my credit and my credit score. And apparently I had made some late payments and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like getting mad, like, oh, I can't believe you're not giving me the loan. Well, the tr- and by the way, I get those calls a lot. And the truth is I didn't need the loan, right? I mean, in other words, I needed to clean up my act. And what you need to do is you need to make your payments on time. And then I want to give you kind of the magic. Here's the magic thing. The way that here's how they look at it. Credit available against credit used. Okay. So for instance, if you have credit card. That's all you have in life as a $2,000 credit card. And that $2,000 credit card has $1,999 charged on it. What's affecting your score is that you're basically almost using, you're using 99.9% of your credit. And that's what is negative. And what they're looking for is, can you have credit and just leave it there? And so for instance, one of the tips I would give you, and I don't want to go into a whole credit score spiel, but here's one as an example. If you pay off a credit card, do not close the account, okay? So let's say, let's use the average American, and let's say they have three credit cards, and their total available credit is $15,000. And you know, you get all excited and you pay a $4,000 credit card off, the natural reaction is to close the account. Well, if you pay the $4,000 credit card off, close the account, you're back to 99% of credit being used. And that's a major factor that they look at. Do you have the discipline to have credit and not use it? So for instance, I have lots of available credit and I use none of it just to kind of give you an idea, right? So how I, how I try to maintain optimal credit worthiness is I have it but I don't touch it. <laughs> and so I, I stay as low as humanly possible on how much of my credit I've used. So a couple other things very important for you to remember. There's a law called Parkinson's Law, and this is one of the most intriguing laws. Feel free to look it up. And I think it is important that you learn Parkinson's Law. And Parkinson's Law, and particularly in, if you're a doctor and you you know, you make sacrifices and, you know, you finally get a good job or you open up your practice and you start to make a little money. People get very confused by why they don't have more money. And the reason is Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law says that your expenses will rise to meet your income. So again, you know, if you have a high income, people will give you lots, they'll let you make payments on everything under the sun. And that's that will extract money out of your life. So it is important to combat Parkinson's law. And it, it, that, that means that you want to make more than you spend. You want to not have all your money tied up in payments. See, because when you look at the five places money goes, right? Living expenses, debt, savings, giving, and tax. Giving should I give? I should have put giving last, right? So one thing you know about you know under earning. So if you're under earning, I'll I'll tell you what will happen. Number one, you don't give any money away. So if you don't give money away, I mean, number one, 
you may not understand generosity, but the truth is you just may be under-earning, so you don't think you have any money to give away, which is probably accurate to some degree, but it's an indicator that we have a problem. You know, your living expenses are probably too high, and most people don't really control living expenses, and then as debts go up and payments go up, that eats up a lot of income. So please understand, there's even a theory that says that, you know, if somebody, let's say they have a $500 a month payment and, you know, they get down to, you know, they're down to the last payment and they walk right in a store and they go, they're just like, they know that that money is about to be freed up and they just literally like magnetically go find something else to make payments on. And that's Parkinson's law. And it, listen, it, it will crush you. You know, in other words, you, I mean, I'm just telling you right now, uh, you, you have to, one of the things I had to learn was that I had to do battle with Parkinson's law. I had to spend less than I made and that became a habit for me. I would wait and, and, and not buy things when I thought I could afford them. I would buy them way after I thought I could afford them and then pay cash and actually save the money. Now, listen, that's, that's, that's not the way most people operate, okay? So knowing the bank is looking at you, so what we want to have is, and this is important, right? You will take debt and you want to have the best score and you want to be credit worthy. And I'll give you my quick list. So number one, great credit score. Okay. So strong payment history, never pay, make a payment late. And there is no excuse. Okay. Auto transfers are the best way to do that. Auto payments. Okay. The second thing they're looking for is assets and liquidity. So if you have a house and you have a hundred thousand dollar house and a hundred thousand dollar mortgage, there's no liquidity there. If you have a $1 million business and your business has $990,000 worth of debt, there's no liquidity there. They're looking for assets so and liquidity, right? That means that you can, you can pay something off and leave it alone, and then they're looking at cash flow. So that is income minus living expenses and debt payments, okay? So you, this is where under-earning if you are under earning and Parkinson's law is beating you, you will literally take bad loan after bad loan and you cannot outrun kind of the grim reaper of high interest rates. It just does not mathematically work. And, you know, we, you know, we even teach courses, our doctors will hire us and we'll come in and we teach this to teams because so many team members don't understand this particular process. I mean, you got to have fun paying off debt, right? You got to have fun paying off debt. So I don't know if we'll talk about it at all, but I do have coming up in November down in Sandestin, Florida, we do an event. It is a uh, financial event. It is designed for doctors and uh, their spouses. And we spend three days working on how to make the conversion over to net worth. So if that's something that any of you have an interest in, it's not a cheap event. So, but, you know, contact my office, whatever it might be, and we'll work with you on that. So here's what I want you to do. Put your debts in the four categories. What is in the consumer debt category? Residential, real estate, CapEx. And here's what we've got to do. You divide them in the four things, 
and then you correct your emotions, okay? So if you've got a capital expenditure and you borrowed some money and it's generating revenue and it's going to be paid off in three years, then you don't need to be emotional about it. Just let it get paid off. So there are debts that you should be have negative emotion, but you cannot lump them into one bucket and emote on the size of that bucket. You need to have an appropriate emotion. So for instance, if I jump to the real estate and I say, hey, tell me about your house. And you say, oh yeah, 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 we got a great house, right? And we got a 30 year mortgage and we got a low rate, great, okay, good. Hey, based on the payments, when's it gonna be paid off? 30 years, eh, that's bad, you gotta fix that. See, so that's the emotion you should have, right? So if you get some extra money, instead of going and adding more payments, pay more on principal on the loan that you have. Um, and sort of become, like I became at a point, I mean, I don't know, I, probably this is not the way to say it, but you know, it was like, uh, I, for some reason I had debt assassin in mind, but that's probably not a great name, right? <laughs> Listen, deleverage, right? And, and, and don't go up your living expenses, go up the amount of principal you pay. It is a guaranteed return. And, you know, I'm always shocked at even the level of some, you know, I, I will tell you that if you have any kind of a financial advisor that ever tells you that you should borrow money, invest it, you, you, you need to run. And, and it is bad advice. And most of it is driven out of the fact that they're probably getting commission on the thing you buy. And it is important. Listen, nobody gets commission on paying off debt fast. That's why I'm telling you to do it. Right. I mean, I, I make my living trying to tell people what the right thing to do is not necessarily what, you know, is going to put a commission in someone's pocket. It's the same thing. If you walk into a car dealer and they start asking you what kind of payments you want to make, don't ever answer that question. I don't want to make a payment. You know, I want to know the price of the car. I want to know what you're going to give me. And anytime people try to just convert it to a payment, right, you want to be very careful. If it's a capital expenditure, like our, we have a program which is 5X and it's our, you know, our highest level coaching program and people will, and it's a two-year requirement and it's very extensive and people will, you know, take a loan for that. But that's different because, and that's why I'm constantly trying to show, like if you buy that and you spend two years, here's what you get in return, right? And you got to remember, if you're making a capital expenditure, you, you should be able to quantify the return. It should be more than what you spent. So, all right. Hey, listen, hopefully you can have some fun with this. So debt is part of it. And then remember, too, if you're married or in a relationship, you got to remember that the reason why we I want a doctor and their spouse to be on the same page with this because this is one that gets people very, very confused. And everybody out there who's after you wants you to take loans and take as much time to pay it off as you want. That is not good for your financial future. All right. Hope you enjoyed. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye. If you consistently focus on paying off your debts or accumulating wealth for an extended period of time, it will continue to get better, easier, and more exciting. Take your position and go get started. Call us today to learn more about Jay's Debt Reduction and Wealth Accumulation System. 
770-518-7575. Mention this podcast and receive 10% off.